The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Bethlehem, let's pray together. So, Father, we confess that we don't know what to do in moments like these, and we're asking for your help to set our eyes on you in this moment. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the title of my sermon this morning is What, Where to Look When Suffering is Great. And I want to orient you to the next two or three weeks. We paused last week from our series in 1 Peter to lament. And Pastor Jason preached a sermon on what to say when suffering is great. And it seemed good to us, and we hope to the Holy Spirit that as we talked early this week in preparation for these coming weeks to take a couple more weeks to process all the broken suffering around us. And so this morning, my job is to, to ask the question, where do we look when suffering is great? And the next week, Pastor Kenny will ask the question, what do we do when suffering is great? So, so why pause for a couple more weeks before going back into 1 Peter on June 21st. And I think the answer is right in our text this morning. Our text today says that we are called to run the race set before us. Now none of us would have chosen this race that 2020 has brought us. Wouldn't have chosen this. Wouldn't have worked it out this way. This wasn't part of our our vision planning for 2020. But we don't get to choose. God sets the race before us. And therefore we have to believe that it's for our good as a church. And we pray for even the good of our city as we work this through and lament as a church. So instead of rushing by and moving on, what we want to do is lean into all the painful circumstances around us. And our hope is that as we do that, we will run this race, not just separately, not just individually, but run this race together. So the question I found myself asking this week is, is what do we need to run this race together? What do we need. And I think Hebrews 10:36 says it well in this moment. It says for you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God you may receive what is promised. So in the race set before us in 2020 with pandemics and unjust killings and a city literally on fire in just the first half of the year, we need to endure because we don't get to sit out and stop doing the will of God. We have need to endure so that we can run the race for the glory of God and the good of this church and the good of these cities and receive the promised reward. We can't avoid this race. It's here, it's before us, and we need to run, so how do we run? And I want to show you from this text this morning that to run the race before us, 
doing the will of God, being faithful to the will of God, we need to look in three places. Number one, we look to the witnesses who are behind us. We look back to the witnesses. Number two, we look up to Jesus. And then number three, we stop and we look inside of ourselves. So look back at witnesses, up to Jesus, and look inside ourselves. So let's dive in to number one, look back at witnesses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Notice the therefore in this text, which means it points us back to chapter 11. And where we go in chapter 11 is to find a people that many call the hall of faith. This people of God who have endured by faith before us. We get pictures of individuals who have run the race. A cloud of witnesses. They go way back in time. And we could add to our list the early church who was under oppression and persecution and yet endured. We could go back and learn about the black church, which has endured in our own nation through hundreds of years of oppression. We could go to the underground church around the world now and add them to our list of the cloud of witnesses that has endured in much suffering. But what I want to do is ask two questions of this cloud of witnesses. Number one, what role do they play? And number two, how were they sustained? If we're supposed to look to them to run this race, what role do they play and, and then how were they sustained? I think the role they play more than surrounding us to kind of cheer us on to the finish, more than that, I think that the role they play is to encourage us that God is faithful to keep his people when times are unfathomably hard. As I read through Hebrews 11, I realized just the relative ease we've had here in the evangelical church in America. Listen to Hebrews 11, 36 to 38. It says, Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Have you ever been flogged for your faith? Ever gone to prison for Jesus? Ever had a fellow believer cut in two for their faith here? Ever had to find yourself wandering around deserts and hiding in caves because you trusted in Jesus and were being chased and hunted down? Now I'm not saying that life is easy and that there's no suffering in our own lives and in our own time and in our own culture, but what I'm saying is that even though viruses are real and unjust killings happen and cities burn and jobs are lost and disease and death are still here, I think when I look at Hebrews 11 that we have a God that can sustain us through these times. The church is not surprised by trials. It's not surprised by injustice. It's not surprised by the brokenness of this world. We know more than anyone else that this place is broken. And justice isn't reigning yet like it will. And wholeness is not like it will be someday in our minds or our souls or even our bodies. 
So what role do these witnesses play? They help us see that God has brought his people through great suffering and tragedy. He's been near to them. He's kept them. And so Bethlehem, God will keep us. He won't abandon us. He didn't abandon his church through thousands and thousands of years, and he's not going to start now. So then how did God sustain them? How did he do this? What did he set before them? And I just want to read one passage, Hebrews eleven thirteen, and then skip to verse 16, that I think gets the whole point across of what Hebrews 11 is pointing us to. So let me read those two verses. It says, These all, all these heroes that have been listed, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Why? Why strangers and exiles on the earth? Verse 16. As it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So how did these people make it? These people knew they were strangers and exiles in the world, but that there was a better country, a holy city, being prepared for them by their God who reigns over all things. I think it is clear in these last two weeks that this world is broken This place cannot be our hope or our ultimate home. We can't buy into the broken systems of this world for our ultimate hope. They're always going to be broken. Our ultimate hope as the blood-bought family of God is the city God is preparing for us. We learn from the saints of old, from our minority brothers and sisters now, from the underground church that this promised future city is enough even when we don't feel like we belong and we're treated differently for it. These people of God are sustained by doing simple math. Better to suffer for 90 years here for the sake of Christ, better to be identified with him and receive his inheritance forever than to have all the comfort and convenience this life can offer now and be separated from God forever. How did Moses choose to be associated with the oppressed instead of live the privileged life in Hebrews 11? It says he was looking to the reward. As we look back to these witnesses, we see that God sustains his people in the midst of horrible persecution, oppression, and suffering as they look to the reward, to the city that is to come. That's number one. We look back at God's faithfulness in these witnesses. Number two, we look up to Jesus. Look at verse two. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking back is helpful, but here is where most of our time looking should be spent. If we want to run with endurance in this race of faith, where should we look? Where should our eyes be right now in these times of suffering? This passage would argue that they should be on Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith. I think these words imply that Jesus led the way in the race of faith and he made a way for us to run the race of faith. He accomplished a perfect race that we could rest in him and run with him. Jesus perfectly trusted his father through suffering, unjust suffering and unjust death. Jesus was tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. Jesus trusted his father all the way through the cross and is seated at the right hand of God. He ran the perfect race. He did what we could never do to pay for our rest in him in the midst of suffering. And because of his perfect race, we can follow him. I will confess in this season that sometimes I wonder, do I have enough to make it? Do I have enough to, to pastor this people that is, is struggling and broken and lamenting and divided in some ways and trying to figure out what is going on? And this passage reminds me that the good news of when I look to Jesus, that I didn't start this race in my own strength and I won't finish it in my own strength. Jesus went before us to purchase us, to unite us to his death and resurrection by faith. Jesus is the one keeping us and perfecting us and who will bring our faith to fulfillment in his presence face to face when faith becomes sight. What a resting place it is to know that in the midst of 2020, we're going to make it. Because Jesus started our race and Jesus will be sure we complete our race. So then we ask the question again, how did he do it? How did he endure? How could Jesus endure the cross for wicked sinners like me who would scorn him and be full of pride and partiality and ugliness? How could he do that? It says for the joy set before him. So what's that joy that helped Jesus obey his Father and endure the cross? We saw at the beginning that we have need of endurance so we can do the will of God and receive the promised reward. So how did Jesus endure so that he could do the will of God? What was the joy that helped him endure? And what we find is that the joy of Jesus is similar to the cloud of witnesses. He's looking forward to dwelling in the glory of his Father forever in the new heavens and the new earth with his blood-bought people. We see it in John 17 when Jesus looks forward to being in glory with his Father and looks forward to our joy being fulfilled with him as we enjoy his glory, that we'd have his joy fulfilled in ourselves. In other words, the joy of Jesus, the joy set before him to endure the cross was the joy of doing the will of his Father running the perfect race that he could open the way for others to be saved by his perfect race. And then he'd save a people that would run with the same joy towards eternity until the day they experienced it in full with him in the presence of his Father. In other words, I think we could sum up the joy set before Jesus in the verses we find in Revelation 7, verses 9 to 10. It says, After this I looked... And behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, 
from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Jesus has run the perfect race and endured the cross for the joy of a blood-bought family from every nation and tribe and people and language with every color of skin to stand before his throne in the joy of everlasting worship. A people purchased by his blood who run the race on earth with their eyes fixed on him and seek to do his will. A people who endure suffering knowing they're secure in the work of Jesus and a people who endure suffering longing to do the will of God until the day they're in the presence of God. Bethlehem with our eyes on those who have gone before us and our eyes fixed on Jesus we can run this wearisome race from a place of rest in the finished race of Jesus and from a place of hope in a sure future. We look to Jesus and his holy city to come. As I long, as I've prayed this week and I've I've been longing for justice on this earth, our ultimate hope is that justice comes through Jesus Christ. Either pays for sin on the cross or comes to judge all sin. Make, make, no, make no excuses about it. No, no questions about it. All justice will come. All sin will be punished. All racism will be punished. All the broken systems will be brought down. Jesus will come. As I long for peace to reign, I know it can ultimately only come through the blood of Jesus. How is reconciliation going to come? How is this pandemic and unrest with it going to end? Well, it's only going to come through the blood of Jesus when he comes and makes all things new and wipes every tear from our eye and brings together all the tribes and peoples and nations. Only he can tear down the wall of hostility by his cross. When I long for love to flow out among God's people, I look and I see divides and anger and frustration. What I long for that I know one day we will dwell in a city of love and the only hope for that love to flow now is the people with their eyes fixed on Jesus who remember the great cost of their sin that they've been forgiven, that God has drawn near to them, that God has heard their cries, that they run to grant forgiveness and hear the cries of of others when I long for evil to die and death to go away I know our Savior lives and has paid for sin and conquered death he is our hope for justice he is our hope for peace he is our hope for love he is our hope for perfect unending joy with no sin or death oh Bethlehem would we look to Jesus for it all where else can we go he has the words of eternal life. Bethlehem, would we look for, to Jesus for it all? Not, not for 90% of our hope. Not for 90% of our joy. Would we look to him for all of it? He's the only place we will find it. He's the only place our souls can rest. We look back to witnesses and in our courage that they made it by looking to the reward. We look up to Jesus and are encouraged that he run the perfect race in our behalf and empowers us to run with him towards a paradise of all peoples in harmony around the throne. But if we're going to be a people 
who live for the kingdom now, in light of the kingdom to come, we also have to look inside of ourselves. We look back and see faithfulness. We look up and see Jesus. And then we have to pause and look inside of ourselves. Here's what it says. It says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So let's deal with the idea of of the weights we carry first. No runner would run a marathon with a backpack of rocks. Now this isn't sin, this isn't cheating. I doubt a backpack of rocks would be against the rules because there's no competitive advantage there. But it'd be foolish to run with a backpack of rocks. It'd keep you from running as fast and as far as you wanted to go. This weight has the idea of things that aren't necessarily sinful but keep you from looking to Jesus. Too often we ask the question, how much can I get away with instead of how much can I put aside to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. We remember when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus to look at the storm and he sank. We're especially tempted to do this when the storm is raging and there are lots of opportunities to fill our backpacks with rocks in these days. So let me ask you, what are things that might not be sinful, could turn into sin, but they're not necessarily sinful in and of themselves, but have taken your eyes off of Jesus? Maybe it's been overanalyzing all this COVID-19 information, reading every article on it, fixating on it, becoming obsessed with it. Or perhaps you're just so busy on social media with everything going on that you've forgotten to run to Jesus because apart from him, you can do nothing. I'll just give an example. This, this week, as I was bombarded by, by emails and horrific scenes and Facebook social media posts about all of it, I just had to realize on Wednesday that I just had to get away for a couple days. It wasn't because I stopped caring about those things. It was because I cared deeply and realized my, my heart was beginning to run towards false hopes and and false things and and not towards Jesus. had to lay aside that weight and go to Jesus and let him tune my heart. Or perhaps you're a, a majority culture person and you've been feeling guilty lately for your ethnicity or for not understanding the struggle of minority brothers and sisters sooner. Lay down your guilt. Lay down that weight As one kind minority brother said to me this week, it's not going to help you love. Guilt won't help you love. It will only make us prone towards defensiveness and shame. So just lay it down. Or perhaps as a minority brother or sister in our church, you've wondered for a while if we even care about the painful experiences that you live out every day as we go along unaware. I am praying that we will do better in caring so that you could lay down the weight of trying to prove your story over and over again and growing weary. But even when we fail, Jesus sees you. He loves you. He's with you. He's for you in the pain that I can't understand and he knows what it is to be mistreated and endure injustice. Or perhaps in the midst of this, you don't even know what to think. You're just overwhelmed and you're just trying to numb the pain with TV shows and Facebook cat videos and food. 
I want to encourage you to lay aside those numbing mechanisms, those weights that you're putting on yourself and look to Jesus. And then it says that we're supposed to lay aside sin. Let's lay aside sin that clings so closely and would would trip us up as we run. When we see injustice and pandemics, one of the mercies that it brings is that it, it takes away the false veneer that everything is okay. And we begin to see the ugly underbelly of brokenness and sin in a thousand ways that we hadn't seen before. And, and one of the things we can do in this moment is we can just try to, try to move past it quick, just try to get back to normal. We just want things to be back to normal. Or what we could do is pause and reflect and search ourselves for our own sin. If we see it all around us, shouldn't we turn inside and say, where do I have sin? So here's some questions I thought of for for us as Christians who are supposed to live a life of repentance from a place of rest in Jesus' blood. Do you have places in your heart where frustration is now boiling over into bitterness and malice? Have you moved from frustration to bitterness and malice? Do you have places in your heart where you're prone to distance or even dislike or at least avoid those who don't look like you or act like you? Do you have places in your heart where where fear is boiling over so much that it's, it's becoming a lack of trust in God? It's okay to be afraid and take those things to the Lord, but is it becoming a mistrust in his goodness to you? Are you seeing now in the midst of this how much maybe you hoped in comforts and conveniences more than you hoped in God? Do you have inconsistencies that you're seeing about which image bearers of God you're more eager to protect and speak up for that show sinful tendencies in your heart? Do you have places in your heart that show that you're just too proud to listen to people who might disagree with you? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So there's sin in here that needs to get out If there is sin in our hearts, let's not push it deep inside, try to put it in that room and lock the door and just hope it doesn't get out. Let's not try to numb it with Netflix or or social media. Let's not try to hide it or justify it with news articles that support our views. Like sometimes you can be so right you're, you're wrong. Let's remember Jesus ran the perfect race for us. Remember that we can bring these things to his throne and lay them at his feet. We can ask him for help to run the race, sharing in his joy of looking for eternal glory where every tribe and tongue and nation gathers around his throne as a blood-bought family to worship together forever. Let's ask the Lord to show us our sin and lay it aside and then go to the people we need to go to and ask for forgiveness Repent before the Lord and go to those we need to repent to in this life. This isn't a a burdensome thing. Sometimes repentance and 
seeing our sin is, is hard and painful for two reasons. One, we don't want to see it. It's easy for us to think the best of ourselves and worst of others. And, and two, we kind of like our sin. It's where we've lived and hung out for years and years. And, and to die to that sin is a painful death. But don't you want to be free? Don't you want to fix your eyes on Jesus and run? Jesus came that we'd have life and life abundantly. And part of that life is being free from every weight and sin which entangles us. This should feel like freedom, not a burden. The blood has already paid for your sins. You're not earning anything or proving anything or showing that you're worthy of anything. You just get the freedom to run in Jesus as you lay these things aside. So what's the application? What do we see in these verses that we can apply to us now? And I think the application is a race of enduring love. A race of enduring love. We look back to witnesses. We look up to Jesus. We look inside ourselves. And then what? Well, when we've done all that work, we've got to come together. We have to run together. We can't do this on our own. This final picture is a picture of the blood-bought united people around the throne of the king. And don't we want his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? So we don't run this race alone. We don't just settle for doing this alone. We have to run together. And so the question before us is, how do we do that? How do we do that when we have differences of opinions and so much brokenness that we can barely process and when we just want to curl up and hide in our rooms and pretend like the world's not real? What did Jesus do in this text? It says he endured the cross. The joy set before him drove him to self-giving love and so it should be with us. His self-giving love purchased a people who are being transformed to love with that same self-giving love to show the world that we are his disciples. So we're called to love each other. So how how do we do that? And I just want to make a really simple proposition this morning. I want us to love and I want us to start loving by just starting with listening. I want us to not move beyond these things too quickly. I mean, this is what families do, right? Isn't this what families do? We listen long and hard. We pray as we listen. We ask God to to show us blind spots and remove the blinders as we listen and as we lament sin. We don't listen to prove our points. I see so much listening going on right now on social media within the church that is a a listening to quickly insert how we know more or we're better or you're not quite taking it all. And would we be the kind of people with enough humility as we see Jesus who went to the cross for us that we would listen not to prove our points but to learn and to love. And then as we learn... The next step is we seek to lament the brokenness of this world wherever it is found together. We listen and we learn and we lament together. We pause. We weep with those who weep. We lament the brokenness of this world that leads to pandemics and cancers and unjust murders of people of color and a city in flames. I'll just admit 
We don't always do this as well as we should. I don't always do this as well as I should. Right? It's, it's a journey we're on. I'm trying to listen and learn better. So let me give you a couple examples. I want to help my minority brothers and sisters lay down the weight of wondering if we even care by telling them we do and then listening to learn. I want to learn as they point me to things about how our city got the way it did and listen to the pain that my brothers and sisters have endured. I want to listen and learn and lament the brokenness and then look to Jesus for ultimate justice and ultimate peace together and then walk forward seeking to love our neighbors as ourselves together. Or another one, I want to listen to my brothers and sisters that see things differently with a pandemic than I do. I want to help them lay aside the weight of feeling bad for being afraid or feeling bad for being frustrated and instead listen and learn and lament the brokenness of a pandemic together and then look to Jesus for our ultimate hope of healing together and then walk forward together seeking to love our neighbors as ourselves. I want to listen to every brother or sister that is struggling better than I do. I want to see the brokenness they feel. I want to lament with them that things are not as they should be. I want to look to Jesus together and lay aside every weight and sin together and then walk forward and love our neighbors as ourselves. Bethlehem, my burden this week is that I really do feel like we're in a moment where we could divide in our pride or a moment where we could unite in love for each other. And what I'm not saying is that we're all going to get on the same page about every little thing. I don't claim to have lots of the answers, but I know Jesus does. I know he's the one who has set this race before us, and I know he's doing it for our good as we look to him as we lay aside every weight in sin, as we learn to lament and run this race together in such a way that the world would actually see the love of the church and go, Jesus has to be real. Like when was the last time we had a moment like this with a pandemic raging and people divided and injustice seen for us on film and people even divided about that in the city burning. When was the last time as a church we had a chance to stand out as different from the world and being the kind of people who lay down our lives, who love each other, who listen for the joy set before us that the world would go, Jesus has to be real. They must be disciples of Jesus. Man, what an opportunity. Let's not blow it. Let's not divide. Because Jesus is Jesus, and he put this race before us, I really believe that in this moment, Jesus is going to show us our sin in ways he hasn't in a while and lead us back to him in a powerful way. Feel it happening in my own heart. I see my, my comforts and conveniences stirred up. I see blind spots I haven't seen before. I see partiality in my own heart that I want to have him help me with. I, I'm listening to people I haven't listened to as well before. I think he's on the move. He's doing something because Jesus is Jesus. I think he's going to turn this for the good of his church. And I really believe that God is going to do a new work to show off the good news of the gospel in these cities. 
So as we end this morning, I am praying for the kind of wake-up call that would cause us to look to Jesus, link arms together, and run the race of enduring love set before us together as a blood-bought family like we will be around the throne in that new city for his glory, for our joy, and for the good of the gospel in these cities now. Let me pray. So Father, we, we just confess that apart from you, we can do nothing. Confess that we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Father, this week, in your church, by your spirit, fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us love each other in the midst of all the brokenness and all the pain. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.